I don't think it would be possible if I thought it was that big of a deal. I mean, that's kind mm. of the interesting thing with free soloing, like I was saying, because it's so psychological. If I thought that it was a huge, huge deal, then it wouldn't necessarily be a good idea for me to go up there. You know, I, I kind of had to prepare to the point where it felt natural and sort of normal. And then and then once I got to that point and was able to do it, you know, it kind of loses the mystery a little bit because, you know, I've gotten into the point where I'm like, well, that's a totally normal, normal Saturday morning. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast 15 years over 600 episodes featuring conversations with the biggest names in sports like David Stern, Pete Carroll, Chris Abbott, Jeannie Buss, Michael Vick, Andre Iguodala, Mark Cuban, Tom Rinaldi, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Lindsey Vaughn, Eric Spolster, Aaron Rodgers, and Steve Nash on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes, and everyone who posts a review on iTunes will be eligible to be selected to join us in our studio audience at one of our Sports Business Radio roadshows presented by Boingo. And we're also on Spotify now, so you can find us there. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years, and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Joining me now on the Blinder guest line is rock climber Alex Honnold. Blinder is the way high-performance teams connect their talent with the media and fans. It lets communications managers provide unprecedented access to their athletes, entertainers, and executives while respecting everyone's privacy and time. Blinder makes phone calls magic. Request a demo today at blinderhq.com backslash sbradio. My guest is Alex Honnold. He is a professional adventure rock climber whose free solo ascents of America's biggest cliffs have made him one of the most recognized and followed climbers in the world. Alex became the first climber to free solo Yosemite's 3,000-foot El Capitan wall, and it was captured on film for the documentary Free Solo, which won the Oscar for Best Feature Documentary. Honnold has been profiled by 60 Minutes and the New York Times, as well as featured on the cover of National Geographic. The first climbers to climb El Capitan took 47 days with ropes back in 1958. Two years ago this week, on June 3, 2017, Honnold scaled the 3,000-foot granite rock in three hours and 56 minutes. You can follow Alex Honnold on Instagram and Twitter at Alex Honnold. Alex, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I, like many people, have seen the movie Free Solo. It was so visually stunning. And even though we know the ending and we know that you survive, I was still on the edge of my seat the entire time. And one of the things that I thought of is if Steph Curry misses a free throw or Tom Brady overthrows a receiver, it's not life and death. But when you were free soloing El Capitan, there's zero margin for error. What is it like when you're navigating something when there's zero margin for error? What I think you just have to prepare a little bit more and make sure that it's your day. You know, I mean, the thing actually that, uh, you know, when Steph Curry misses a free throw, the thing is he has to perform on a given day of the week, you know, all the time, day in and day out. I mean, in some ways, when you play ball sports, it's slightly more stressful maybe just because you have to perform when you're told to. With climbing, I got to work for two years towards this goal that I had and then and then do it on the day where I felt perfect, the conditions felt good, everything everything came together. So, I mean, it's really about picking your moment and, you know, making sure that you're prepared. How do you know when the conditions are perfect? 
Well, that's that's kind of the secret sauce, I suppose. Um, I mean, and actually, to be honest, the day that I did it, conditions weren't actually perfect, but I felt I felt good, and so I actually felt that psychologically, for me, it was more important just to do it on sort of an average day than to wait for the perfect alignment of, of weather and humidity and all those kinds of things. The, um, I mean, so much of free soloing is psychological. A lot of it's just the, the games you have to play in your own mind to to feel comfortable. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I read. Uh, a quote from the New York Times after your free solo. It says, it wasn't an act of recklessness, but the kind of planning worthy of a moon landing. And when I watched the film, I was like, every single millimeter you had to map out before the climb. And it took uh, planning worthy of a moon landing in order for you to pull this off. Well, I, I would hope that the moon landing is better planned. I mean, I, I, did, I did work my hardest, but uh, but it was basically just you know me and the film crew working on it. Uh, I hope the moon landing has a bigger team and a little more preparation. But uh, you know, I, w- I wouldn't know. The psychological part that you just mentioned to me, if I first of all, I could never do what you do. But if I was doing it, one of the things I would be most afraid of is that I wouldn't stay present in the moment, and then I would be thinking of the steps ahead in the climb. How do you stay present in the moment? Because again, one mistake and it's life or death. Yeah, actually, that, that's something that I haven't really had to worry. I think in some ways, just the the situation, you know, it kind of requires you to be present that way, and so it just kind of happens naturally because that's how it has to be. Um, you know, I think that's one of the the few aspects of the climb that I don't really have to work on. Uh, once once I start, I'm just pretty, you know, I'm sort of in the zone. I just I just climb. How long does it take you to get in the zone? Yeah, that kind of depends a little bit. Um, to really be in it, I mean, with with El Cap specifically, I mean, it probably took me the first five or 600 feet or so. I mean, not until I was through the free blast labs, which is like uh, one of the hardest parts at the bottom. It's one of the key parts of the film. Uh, once I got through that, then I was kind of in it. You know, I was like, okay, I'm feeling great, feeling smooth, just cruising up the wall. But certainly when I left the ground, you know, it took me a little while to trust my feet entirely and to feel confident in the film there was the first time that you were looking to make the ascent and then you didn't feel it was perfect and you backed out a lot of people including probably myself if i knew there was a film crew and there was all this effort put into this i might have said well i'm going to try it today because i would have been thinking about everyone else but in this moment you have to be selfish because again it's life or death I thought it was actually really brave of you to say, you know what, today's not my day. I'm I'm stepping down and I'm going to do this another day. Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't really brave. You know, it just it just was what it was. I mean, in some ways, I think that uh, the pressure that you're talking about was maybe what got me off the ground. You know, like because I knew that that day that I wasn't perfectly prepared. Like I knew the top of the wall really well, but I didn't know the bottom of the wall, uh, you know, well enough, obviously, because that's where I gave up. But um. I think that maybe some of the, and it wasn't just the pressure of the film crew, it was also the pressure that the, the season was changing. It was uh, becoming winter, and it was kind of, you know, if I didn't do it then, I'd be done for the season. Uh, just, you know, it started to rain and snow. And so, you know, I mean, I, I definitely felt some pressure, which is why I tried it all. But then as soon as I got into the situation where I felt really uncomfortable and it's just like, I don't know how to climb this, you know, I don't feel ready for this, then I just instantly, you know, called it. And and that wasn't a big, you know, that wasn't a big dilemma for me it was just i instantly was like I, this is not for me and just gave up how long i mean we talked about the moon landing and the mapping it out and everything 
How long, and I know you climbed the wall with a rope with people before you actually did the the real climb, but I'm sure you're probably sitting at home and you're you're mapping things out there too. Was this a year, two years, three years? How long did the planning take for this climb? Well, the, the film pretty much chronicles the, the full two years that I spent working on it. Right. Um, I think that they, they filmed with me for two years, and that really is basically the full amount of time that I spent actively working. I, so, I mean, I've been dreaming about free-selling El Cap for many years before that. And obviously, I'd climbed El Cap with partners, you know, for, for on other routes and for other reasons and things over the years. But um, but the two years that I was actively working on it is, is shown in the film. You know, I was thinking about this, too, when I knew I was going to interview you. If you think about the history of the world and you think about this is the only person to ever accomplish X, there aren't too many things that you can say that about. And for you, you are the only person in the history of the world who has free soloed El Capitan. What is it like being one of those people where you're the only person to accomplish something? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I haven't totally thought about it in that way. But but also to be fair, there there are actually a lot of other climbs that I'm you know, the only person in the world to have done. But then there are plenty of other climbs that I can't do, but some of my friends can't do. You know, things with ropes, things that are physically more difficult. I mean, it's all just kind of balance. You know, there are lots of things that I wish I could do, and there's some things that I'm proud that I've done. And you know, I mean, everybody has to sort of navigate their own path. But you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm proud of that. But it's. Um, you know, it's not it's not that big a deal. See, that's the thing that's so great about you, and I've I've heard you do some other interviews, and I've read stories. Is it is a big deal, but you don't think it's that? It's just like, hey, it's another thing, and it's not a big deal. Well, the thing is, so, so it wouldn't be a. I don't think it would be possible if I thought it was that big of a deal. I mean, that's kind hmm. of the interesting thing with free soloing, like I was saying, because it's so psychological. Yeah. Like, if I thought that it was a huge, huge deal, then it wouldn't necessarily be a good idea for me to go up there. Hmm. You know, I, I kind of had to prepare to the point where it felt natural and sort of normal. And then, and then once I got to that point and was able to do it, you know, it kind of loses the mystery a little bit because, you know, I've gotten into the point where I'm like, well, that's a totally normal, normal Saturday morning. I think, I think it was a Saturday. Yeah. Um, you know, and so then it's, it's hard to then flip the switch back to, you know, because I spent years when I was younger thinking that it would be the craziest thing ever done and that it would be amazing. And, you know, that it would be the most impressive climbing of all time. But then by the time I did all the preparation, it certainly didn't seem that way anymore. And so then once you do it, you can't really go back. You know, you just, you're like, well, you know, now it seems kind of normal. Yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe you psych yourself out if you think about it too much or you put too much emphasis yeah, that, that, on it. That, that's exactly. I mean, that, that was an important part of my, my mental preparation was to not put it on too big of a pedestal. You know, was to keep it, uh, you know, proportional. Because... I mean, El Cap, you know, it's, it's difficult and it's big, but it's not it's not impossibly difficult and big. You know, like, I, I knew that it was possible, but I didn't want to elevate it too much psychologically, you know, by putting it on a pedestal so high. Like, that would be, you know, that would be impossible. I'm like, no, I mean, it's possible. I just have to work at it. I mean, you've shown that pretty much anything is possible, but is there a rock that you look at and say, you know, I did this, but there's no way I'm doing that one? Um, not, not right now, but honestly, I need to, uh, you know, I've been traveling and supporting the film so much that, uh, I, I need to get back to just climbing all the time and sort of see what, what I get into and, uh, you know, what, what I get inspired by again, you know, we'll, we'll see how that stuff shapes up. And do you plan on free soloing again, or are you using rope from here on out? No, I've been free soloing easy stuff sometimes. I mean, there's a real distinction between 
cutting edge free soloing like El Cap and, and casual fun free soloing that mm-hmm. you do, you know, after a day of work or something just to sort of unwind and have fun on the rock. And so I'm sure I'll do casual free soloing my entire life just because it's such a lovely way to climb. Um, you know, we'll see if I keep doing cutting edge soloing. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Alex Honnold. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and university stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Alex Honnold. Well, so that was one of my thoughts when I saw Free Solo. I was like, thank God that he did it. What an accomplishment. Again, the only person who's ever done El Capitan Free Solo, but I hope he never Free Solos again. Is there something in you that that says, I need the next thing, or do you feel so satisfied with that that you can say, you know what? I'm fine being an ambassador for rock climbing and casually rock climbing. I don't need to do cutting edge free soloing again. Well, I mean, I don't know if I need to do cutting. So over the last 15 years or so that I've been a professional climber, there have definitely been years where I haven't soloed anything serious. And there have been some years where I've soloed a a bunch of serious routes. And so, you know, that kind of comes and goes depending on personal motivation and, and, you know, my personal goals. So, you know, right now I'm not hungry for any specific big free solo objectives, but, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the future I, I, I don't know, typically I, I sort of ebb and flow between uh, focusing on just hard physical climbing, you know, climbing with a rope, bouldering, uh, you know, training indoors, things like that. And then, you know, I can do that for a while, but eventually it just feels slightly boring, and then I need to go on, you know, an expedition to go do alpinism or explore, you know, do something bigger outside or potentially free solo something big. You know, I mean, basically I just, you know, I like my climbing to be sort of exciting sometimes. Yeah, no, I get it. Uh, in the movie, it, it talks about your love of rock climbing, and it you know goes back to your childhood and, and things like that. But for our listeners who may not have seen the movie yet, maybe you can go back to when you were a child and and how did you want to get into rock climbing? What made you want to be a rock climber? Well, actually, nothing really. As a child, nothing made me want to be a rock climber. I just wanted to climb on things. I loved climbing trees and buildings and, you know, play structures and walking around on banisters and things like that, you know, handrails. Um, and so, you know, when a climbing gym opened in Sacramento, my parents saw it as a great opportunity to sort of structure my climbing in a way that, that would be a little less, uh, you know, less likely to get me arrested. And so they took me indoors and, and so I started rock climbing, you know, but I mean, it's all on plastic indoors. 
and and then that's when it really took and that's you know kind of when i became a rock climber and when did you say i want to go from the gym to get me outside on on the real rocks and and now i even want to do some free soloing yeah it's it's interesting actually because in the in the mid 90s when i started climbing in the gym climbing gym culture was a lot different than it is now in that it was mostly for real rock climbers to train for rock climbing you know there wasn't as much of the, the urban climbing culture and so pretty much from the get-go i was surrounded by people who were climbing indoors as a means to to climb better outdoors so it was kind of always the goal to go outdoors and climb things so i remember you know but i was limited by the fact i didn't have a car and couldn't drive so a friend a few friends would take me up into the mountains and take me climbing on the weekends things like that and you know it felt like the gym was always you know designed to teach you how to climb outdoors we're going to get into your relationship with uh, El Cap. You just joined the board of directors in a minute. But for parents out there who have kids, and, and you know, again, I'm in Portland, Oregon, so rock climbing is pretty big up here, and the rock climbing gym culture is big up here. But what do you think the traits are that you need to have to want to be a rock climber, whether it's indoor or outdoor? I think the most important trait, and certainly the one that I had, was a desire to climb. You know, I mean, I, I think that physically you can kind of manage, you know, basically there are climbers of all different shapes and sizes. You know, some people get by on brute strength. Some people are extremely flexible. Some, you know, it's kind of all different builds and all different shapes. But ultimately, I think to be a good climber, you just have to love climbing. You know, you have to enjoy going and, and doing the thing all the time. I mean, and, and that's what has always, you know, I've never really had any particular physical gift. You know, I've never been been a prodigy of any kind. I just have always loved climbing, which means that I've, I've spent, you know, five or six days a week climbing for 20 years or more. And so, you know, eventually you start to get, get better at it. Yeah. And I think, as you said earlier, as far as I see, like the mental aspect of climbing is important too, because there has to be a focus and a concentration. Cause especially if you're outside, if you make a mistake, you know, you could hurt yourself even if you are on a rope. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, and, and beyond that even, I mean, there's also a certain willpower involved with it. You know, a lot of people who are really, really strong don't, you know, sort of underperform their physical limits. And then some people who aren't necessarily that strong, but who try with 100% of their being, you know, they fight to the absolute death. You know, sometimes, you know, but basically anybody can, can climb in their own way. You know, some people just try their hardest. Some people overpower things. I mean, everybody sort of finds their own path in climbing. I think the important thing is just to, to enjoy the sport, you know, go and try it, have a good time and, and, you know, see where it takes you. So free solo obviously has exposed a lot more people to rock climbing. I would say it's made it more mainstream, obviously not the kind of rock climbing you did in that movie, but I think people are pretty psyched to go out there and at least try it. You recently joined the board of El Cap. Uh, they're the parent company of Earth Treks in Planet Granite world-class climbing facilities around the country. Tell us about that partnership. Well, so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a long story, I guess, but, but uh, you know, I've gym climbed my entire life, and I've always loved climbing indoors. I've climbed in climbing gyms all over the world, uh, and actually particularly with the with the film tour, because I've been traveling so much promoting the film. I've, I've sampled, you know, probably half the climbing gyms in the world, it feels like, <laughs> you know, because every city I land in, I just go to the gym. And so... Uh, I've, I mean, I've kind of personally always, you know, secretly fantasized about a climbing gym chain that, that, you know, basically I, I just want quality climbing gyms everywhere I go, you know, and I want some consistency. I want some, you know, consistent quality. I want good route setting. 
I want nice, open, clean facilities with nice light. You know, basically there's certain things that make some climbing gyms way nicer than others. And, and I like to climb in those kinds of gyms. And so, you know, basically El Cap is, is, you know, attempting to build exactly that. You know, I mean, Earthrex and Planet Granite are both gyms that, that have, have that kind of consistent quality. And, uh, you know, and they're looking to expand them further around the country. And, you know, basically I was, I was sort of honored to, to help with that in some way. I mean, I kind of think that it's the future. It's the direction that climbing is going regardless. I'd like to see it go there in the right way. You know, I'd like to see it done well. Yeah, I mean, I think you're a great ambassador for the sport. Uh, I'm based in Portland, Oregon, as I told you before. There's one of your facilities is here. Uh, I'll go try it out. And I have a 14-year-old daughter. She'd probably love to try it out, too. I think it's great exercise, and, you know, it's a safe environment. I think it makes all the sense in the world that, that you would be the ambassador. The other thing that I think helps your cause here is 2020 Tokyo, uh, rock climbing is going to be a demo sport, right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, and I think that that's probably going to drive even more people to climbing. Though, though, just to be clear, the, the growth of climbing and the, the crazy growth in the climbing gym industry, I don't think that's, you know, 100% related to Free Solo or really any of the other climbing films. Films like the Dawn Wall or, or Valley Uprising, other sort of big climbing documentaries that have been released in the last couple of years. Um, you know, I mean, I think those definitely help fuel climbing, but I think that it might, you know, I, I don't know if there's any research on this. I, I could be wrong, but I think a lot of it is bigger demographic trends, you know, urbanization, people in cities looking for ways to, to work out with mm-hmm. the community. I mean, I think that the climbing, it's always taps into a lot of things that I think made CrossFit super popular, you know, a real sense of community, a sense of tribe, you know, and a nice way to stay fit indoors that people can do, you know, in, in cities. And so, you know, I don't think it's just the film blowing up climbing. I think that the climbing is sort of on the up and up right now, regardless. Uh, you know, the film sort of tapped into that at a good time, but I think the Olympics will even more so. So since the film, and you said you've been out promoting the film, when you show up randomly at a rock climbing facility, what's the reaction that you get? Do people recognize you? Do they say, hey, let's see how fast you can climb the wall? Do they leave you alone? What's the reception you're getting? Uh, it depends a little bit on where I am, but yeah, certainly people recognize me. Um, I mean, you know, riding the subway in New York City has become a bit of a, you know, I'm kind of getting recognized everywhere now. It feels like like airports are all sort of a, so I mean, climbing gyms are are definitely a, a hot spot for activity. It really, yeah, it just depends where I am and how, how chill people are. And uh, but honestly, that's why I like big facilities, because I like going and tucking myself into some back corner and just doing my own thing. What's that like for you going from, I mean, I read a story, maybe it was true or not. You were, you know, living basically off of $15,000 a year and you were living as a minimalist in your van. And now everywhere you go, even on subways in New York, you're recognized. That's got to be uh, a change in your life and a transition for you. How have you adjusted? Uh, I'm like, indeed, that is a change. <laughs> I mean, it's just, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, you just deal. You know, I mean, in, in some ways it's been okay because it's been gradual because even before the film, I was recognized in climbing gyms, certainly, and, you know, occasionally on the street. And you know, just because I've done so many other climbing films over the years and, you know, been on the cover of National Geographic and featured on 60 Minutes and all these random, you know, media things that, you know, it certainly gave me a, a hint of what what a feature film would be like. Though, honestly, I kind of underestimated what, what would really happen with the film coming out. But, um, yeah, I mean, you just, you know, life just changes and you just go with the flow and you just got to learn as you go.
What do most um, people, what's their feedback to you? What do they say when they see you? Oh, I mean, actually, right now, most people are just saying, uh, for the most part, people who approach me are people who were moved by the film in some way. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, most most people talk to me about, you know, how much they enjoyed the film or how much it meant to them or, you know, how it inspired their kids or whatever else. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, not, not, not too cynical, but at a certain point when, when all day, every day, you have people coming up to you saying how amazing you are and how inspired they are by you. At a certain point, it all just glazes over into a sea of, you know, I'm just like, oh, cool. You know, because, uh, I don't know. So I kind of developed this strategy. So yeah, this is all maybe slightly off topic, but I kind of developed the strategy kind of a long time ago, which was where I just, when people come up and, and gush about things, I just think of them as, as talking about a character in the film as opposed to me, the person who they don't actually know because they've never met. Hmm. You know, there's like a, and, and it's interesting because the documentary is, is a very honest portrayal of who I am as a person. But at the same time, it's still a 90 minute film showing two years of life. You know, I mean, it's still like a tiny slice of, of those two years. And so people watch it and they feel like they know me. They feel like they have a good sense of me, but you know, but they never actually met me. And so when people gush, I'm like, oh, they're gushing about the character in the film which, you know, is very, very similar to me, but isn't isn't the me that they're meeting, you know? I totally get it. I think one of the things, and this is just my outside perspective, and obviously I've never met you in person, but what you did was such an incredible human feat that I think it inspired people, whether it's rock climbing or something else, that they say, wow, what an inspiration Alex was. If he could do that, maybe I can do... You know, my version of climbing El Cap, Cap in my own life. That's what I think it is. It's not that's, so... No, and, and that's what I like hearing the most from people, honestly. I've had, you know, people at screenings come up and say that it inspired them to sign up for a marathon or things like that. Right. And obviously, they're not going free soloing, but but exactly like you said, they're just seeking out the big challenges in their life that, that they'd, you know, sort of been lagging on for whatever reason. Yeah. No, I think it's it's super great. Going back to the Tokyo Olympics, what are the disciplines that are going to be demoed there? Uh, and that's not something you would compete in, is it? No, I won't compete. It's kind of like a gymnastics in that the the contenders are all you know teenagers right now, basically, or maybe early twenties. But um, you know, I'm 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 an old man compared to <laughs> all the Olympic competitors right now. But um, so the format is is a combined format. So there's already a World Cup circuit where people compete in in three different disciplines: uh, lead climbing, speed climbing, and bouldering. Uh, you know, I mean, I can explain each of those if you want. But um, but the Olympic format is a combination of the three, which actually kind of caused an uproar within the climbing community when it was announced that way. It had, I think, it has to do with the limited medal count. You know, basically climbing only got one medal, so that rather mm-hmm. than sort of unfairly favor one format, they just combined all three. But the thing is, in climbing, people always specialize in in their specific disciplines, and and pretty much nobody. Well, actually, uh, bouldering and lead climbing, there's a lot of crossover. You know, some people do both, but nobody crosses over into speed climbing. So by combining the speed into it, it uh, it forced people to totally change the way they train. But what's kind of an, which I don't really mind actually. I mean, in some ways, since it's competition, it's all arbitrary rules anyway. So. You know, as long as it's the same rules for everybody, it's a fair competition, you know. So I, I, I think it's kind of fine, and I think for spectators, that'll be nice, actually, to just see the full array of climbing. But the thing that's sort of unfortunate about it is that I think that already in Paris in 2024, they've changed the format again to cut speed out uh, or separate it out for a separate medal, which now means that, you know, some people are training one way, and then 
you know, as soon as Tokyo happens, everyone will start training a different way. Hmm. You know, I just feel like there needs to be some consistency in the sport, you know, because really it's a whole generation of young kids, you know, focusing on certain aspects of climbing, you know, with the hopes that one day they might be great at this. You know, I just feel like the rules all need to stay the same so that people, you know, train for the right things or whatever. This might be a stupid question, so forgive me, but is there like a governing body of rock climbing that determines the rules or, you know, like you did with free solo, you just go get on the rock and you plan for that. And, and, you know, I don't think there's a governing body saying you can or can't do this. (laughs) Um, So for outdoor climbing, uh, there's definitely no governing body. It's just uh, climbing is sort of governed by the community. You know, there are definitely certain ethical norms. And, and ways in which people climb. The, the most important one is pretty much always just honesty. As long as people uh, honestly report what they've done, then then the community sort of judges it however however they want. You know, as long as you're straight up about what you do, you can kind of do whatever as long as you don't damage the rock or damage the environment. And so, um, yeah, the outdoors is relatively simple in that way. For the indoors, I'm actually not totally sure what the governing body is. I, I should know, but I just don't. It's confusing acronyms. It's like the Olympic you know, whatever, the international IPCC, you know, now that's climate change. Um, I don't know. It's like some big acronym, and I'm actually not even totally sure, you know, because then each nation has its own uh, governing body, you know, sports federation for, for climbing. Wow. But, uh, yeah, basically, I don't know. I, I haven't competed. You know, when I was when I was young doing these competitions, it was all a much smaller and simpler world. You know, it was just USA climbing. Right. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Alex Honnold. We'll be right back after this. One word you wouldn't typically associate with a dress shirt is comfort. However, the folks over at Mizzen in Maine are changing this. Their shirts are incredibly comfortable. Mizzen in Maine makes dress shirts for men that fixes everything that's ever been wrong with shirts for so long. Their shirts breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. It's like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for travel. They've taken the hassle out of looking great through wrinkle resistance and the ability to wash your shirts at home. No more last-minute ironing. No more after-work trips to the dry cleaner. It's a shirt that's worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head over to MizzenInMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenInMain.com, code SBR. I can tell you one thing. I'll be wearing Mizzen in Maine dress shirts at all future sports business radio road shows and sports PR summit events. I can't wait. Now, back to sports business radio with our guest, Alex Honnold. If I look at rock climbing, I'm on the outside. It's not something that I've studied or am an expert on. But, you know, I'll use an analogy here. Like, for people who like golf, a lot of them for many years have looked at Tiger Woods and they're like, Tiger Woods is a good golfer. He relates to the casual fan or they relate to him. And he's become kind of the, the symbol of golf in this country. I see you, no matter what the discipline, no matter indoor or outdoor, has, you've become the symbol of rock climbing in the United States and probably the world. So, um, I think when people think rock climbing, they think Alex Honnold. I mean, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't know how to respond. But I actually stayed up way too late last night reading this amazing uh, biography of Tiger Woods. It's funny. You did you really? It. That's so yeah, yeah, ironic really that good. we just brought that up. What did you think of his yeah. biography? I, I, I'm i so into it. It's amazing. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so crazy. 
I mean, it's just different. I, I really enjoy reading about other types of athletes because yeah. it's such a different experience than climbing. Because, you know, I mean, he, as soon as he turned pro, it's like as soon as he signed the papers, it's like that's $60 million. You're just like, whoa, the golf world is such a different deal than, you know, with climbing when you go pro. You know, most people consider yourself a professional when you kind of make a living of some kind. So as soon as you start getting free product and a little bit of food for, or a little bit of money for food, they're like, oh, you know, I'm a professional climber. I'm making 15 grand and getting free climbing shoes and a free jacket. You know, and you're just like, man, the golf world, it's like getting 60 million. It's crazy. And that's and that's a year one. That's literally with the sign of the paper. You know, it's like I haven't even gotten to the, you know, him him winning all the Masters. Yeah. And the other thing with him, too, is like training with the Navy SEALs. And he had some interesting ways of training that, that weren't of the norm. Yeah, well, his dad was a Green Beret. Right. But Yeah. Yeah, and though, honestly, reading all this stuff about his upbringing, I'm like, I'm kind of glad that my dad wasn't a Green Beret who was training me for psychological warfare as a child. <laughs> you know, and I agree that I probably would perform better as a climber, but, but I don't know if I'd lead a better life, you know? Yeah. I want to go back to El Capitan. So I, I didn't know this till I was doing my research for this interview. Uh, so almost exactly a year after you did the free solo, you and Tommy Caldwell go set a speed record on El Capitan. Uh, what was it? 58 minutes and seven seconds that you guys. No, no, uh, one hour. Or one hour, 58 minutes and seven seconds. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy because, you know, I also found in my research that the first people in 1958 who used ropes and went up El Capitan <laughs> 47 days, it took them yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. That's, but for people who free soloed, like a lot of people would have said, I own you. Like I did this, but you went up a year later and you're like, I'm going to set the speed record too, just to show El Cap that like I completely well, own it. Fun. No, that's that's not really the spirit of it, though. I mean, Tommy and I had just always sort of wondered if it was possible to go sub two hours on the nose. Okay. Yeah, I had held the speed record on that route previously, and then some people broke it, but but they broke it by a little bit, and it was set at 219. And so, you know, trying to go sub two hours felt like a really big reach. Um, you know, in some ways, we sort of equated it to the to the two-hour marathon. Right. Um, though, as it turns out, it's it's not even remotely similar to the two-hour marathon. I think that when we get that close to human limits, the physiological limits, the time will be more like, well, what you just said, closer to probably 58 minutes on the route, you know, instead of an hour 58. But, um, you know, I think there's a lot more room for improvement. But but basically, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing about climbing and what makes climbing so enjoyable is, is improving, you know, pushing yourself, yeah. getting better at it. And so, you know, just because I free solo it doesn't mean that I don't want to keep improving. Yeah. So it is a little bit like golf. I do play golf, so you can play the same course over and over again, but you can want to get better on that same course, and it doesn't well, mean no, it's going to get the, boring. No, that's why I, that's a big part of the growth of climbing gyms, I think. I think that's why it's important to have good setting in climbing gyms, mm -hmm. you know, root setting, like to have nice roots on the wall, because, you know, people love the feeling of improvement. People love going into the home gym and just working on problems that eluded them the previous time they climbed. They're like, this time I'm going to try it a little differently. I'm going to try some different technique. I've been training, you know, whatever it takes. But I mean, I think that's a big part of why why the sport has been blowing up so much is that people love that feeling of improvement. I mean, it, you know, I mean, I think that's kind of hardwired into the human brain that you know that little yeah that little jolt of of pleasure every time you feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, since this is a sports business show, I'll ask you about your sponsors. I know you work with the North Face, obviously the. 
the very uh, recognizable red North Face shirt you wear in the movie, uh, Black Diamond, La Sportiva, Goal Zero, Stride Health, and Maxim Ropes. And again, you're on the board at uh, El Capitan, the climbing gym. Yeah, and actually... And actually, most significantly, maybe, uh, I'm also sponsored by Rivian and uh, an electric trucks company. I don't know if you've heard of them, but um, they're basically launching. Well, they've already sort of premiered their, their electric trucks and SUVs, but um, they aren't actually fulfilling orders till next year. But so, uh, yeah, it's kind of awesome. And they're also partnered with my foundation, uh, the Holland Foundation, which supports solar projects. And so it's kind of a nice alignment with um, them providing batteries and storage for you know the solar projects that we're supporting. No, I was going to say, I've paid close attention to your foundation and what you're doing with the solar projects, and I tip my hat to you. It's it's really great stuff that I think could have a long-term impact on the world, and uh, you know, I see a lot of things going that way, and you obviously uh, have used your platform to support all of that. How are things going with your foundation? I would imagine that's grown since the movie. Yeah, that that's actually the one thing that I'm really happy about with the film, is that the foundation has definitely blown up. And uh, and so we're able to support a lot more projects in a, in a much bigger way, and we're you know taking on more interesting and, and more complex projects now. Um, like I just said, you know, partnering with Rivian to provide storage for for uh, the we're doing a project in Puerto Rico that that will potentially be the island's first cooperative microgrid, um, and so we'll provide the the panels and the storage, well, or sort of help bring all the partners together to make it happen. But, um, but yeah, basically we're taking on much more complex and, and interesting projects that can potentially have a real impact on the world. And so, I mean, that's that's pretty exciting for me. And tell me a little bit more about the trucks. These are solar-powered trucks? No, 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 no. So Rivian is just making electric trucks. So okay, electric think, trucks. You know, yeah, think like an F-150, but but electric. That's amazing. Very, range, very rugged. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're really nice. They're really nice trucks. Um, they're, they're building them as uh, electric adventure vehicles. Because there's really a space in the electric car market for for rugged vehicles. You know, I mean, because you look at some of the other electric car manufacturers and they're slightly, I mean, basically they're more urban oriented. You know, they're great for commuting around town, but they're not necessarily something that you would take in the mountains and put your muddy mountain bike into or something. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so that's basically the where Rivian is approaching. I mean, obviously, you're out in the environment all the time, so it makes sense that you'd want to reduce the carbon footprint and do things like this. But, you know, at what point in your life did you really start saying, I have a platform and I want to make a difference in this area? And, you know, starting a foundation is no easy feat, and that's a lot of work in and of itself. Yeah, well, when you live in your car, you got a bunch of time to work on things like that. (laughs) But, but no, I mean, I started the foundation when... uh, I mean, honestly, I started the foundation kind of before I really had a platform and things like that. You know, I mean, I was a professional climber, but but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in mainstream news or anything. But I just felt like it was an important thing to do. It was the right thing to do. You know, I felt like I felt almost a moral obligation to do something positive in the world, and 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 I was able to. So I sort of felt obligated to to do what I was able to do. Uh, you know, I've, yeah, just you know, I sleep better at night knowing that I'm doing my best. No, that's great. You're making you're making a big impact on the world, whether you recognize it or not, with how you've inspired people to achieve things that maybe they didn't think they could achieve. And, you know, with your foundation, I think you're doing things that are going to have a long lasting impact long after we're gone. So congratulations. Hopefully. No, I I think you can already see it. So, you know, congratulations on that. Um, 
you seem like someone in the film, you know, you're, you're very focused, but you're not someone who's super outspoken. And now that you're promoting your movie and you're an ambassador for some of the things we've discussed today, you've kind of got to come out of your shell a little bit. Has that been difficult? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we all learn and grow over time. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, when I look at how I was in, in school, you know, terrified to speak in public, terrified to be in front of the class, you know, any, anything like that. And then now how comfortable I am standing in front of a, you know, pretty, pretty much any stage and just speaking about whatever I'm supposed to speak about. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's definitely been some, some coming out of the shell. But I mean, in a lot of ways, it's, I mean, that's just practice. It's just repetitive exposure. You just have to do something over and over and eventually you start to feel pretty comfortable with it, which is, you know, it's funny because that's exactly what the film shows, you know, two years of practice and eventually you get pretty good at something. Yeah. So uh, I see, I heard an interview, I think it was on uh, Lance Armstrong's podcast, and you said you live in Las Vegas, you live in a neighborhood, and when you go to the store, instead of walking down the street, you climb along the wall to the store. Are you still doing that? Yeah, yeah, that's just kind of by chance that uh, that it's the fastest way to get to my, my supermarket <laughs> is to go over the back fence. And I asked the neighbor, and she's just like, oh, I mean, you know, and technically I'm not going into anybody's property because so I'm just walking on the top of the fence. But, you know, it saves probably two minutes on my walk. So, so. And if I, cool. yeah, and if I lived in that neighborhood and Alex Honnold was on my wall, I'd be like, that's sweet. I wouldn't be upset about it. it. I would think it's great. I think, I think hardly anybody in my neighborhood knows who I am, which is kind of ideal, I think. You know, it's all, it's mostly old ladies just kind of, <laughs> you know, that if it's, it's, uh, for, for Vegas, it's a slightly older neighborhood. So it's all original inhabitants, you know, folks that have been there since the 80s. So it's all old ladies now. So last question for you. What's kind of a typical day for you now? I know you said you still like working out and climbing and, you know, I know you're promoting the film and, and things of that nature, but what's a typical day for you now? I mean, it really depends. So, you know, when I'm in work mode or travel mode, like right now I'm in Los Angeles because, uh, you know, I've been doing Emmy events for the film for National Geographic. And so this morning I'm going to go to the climbing gym and then go to the airport. And then uh, I left my car outside Yosemite, so I'll be back in Yosemite this evening. And then actually hopefully climbing El Cap tomorrow if the weather is, if the weather allows. But then, you know, I only have a couple of days in Yosemite and then another, some other events. And, you know, it's basically just balancing, you know, bouncing back and forth between. It's, it's a little bit weird because it's kind of like jumping between different worlds. You're going from big adventure outdoors and then all of a sudden you're in front of a theater talking to a bunch of people. Yeah. But... Uh, but it does, you know, I basically just have to seize the moments that I can to go outside and, and do the things that I love to do. Well, and you probably like, I know if I'm around a lot of people or at events, I, I kind of like some quiet time and just, and to, <laughs> it would seem to me that when you're climbing, like that's your, your solace, that's your, your time where it's just you and the rock, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly. I mean, and even the climbing gym can, can fill that to some extent, fill that need. You know, I mean, I love having a few hours of just climbing, you know, and so whether it's indoors or outdoors, uh, you know, I just want to, you know, I mean, I, I don't want to say get in the zone because that sounds a little too over the top, but, but, you know, focus a hundred percent on what I'm doing. And so, you know, I can do that on any kind of rock. It's just, you know, some gyms are so crowded though. And though, honestly, I mean, I was just in Yosemite a couple of days ago and I uh, went for a lovely walk in the mountains and the trail just had so many people on it and they'd all seen the film and everybody stopping me and you're just like, oh man, it's hard to get into the the mountain experience when, when you're getting stopped on the trail all the time. 
Yeah. You know, but basically, I'll, you know, I'll figure it out. And how to. How are things, you know, a big part of Free Solo was your relationship with your girlfriend. And, you know, even the filmmakers, Jimmy Chin and the friends, so nerve wracking for them to see you do that. I'm sure they're probably happy to have you not free soloing as much and, and certainly doing things like that. But that's the thing that it, you have people who care about you. And, and I'm sure that takes a toll on them, too. Yeah, though, I mean, I had people who cared about me before I, you know, free sold all cap, and, and I will after. I mean, to some extent, free soloing has always been a pretty personal choice. Right. You know, I mean, I always know that there are people who care, and yet, you know, and yet I'm choosing to do something that I love to do it regardless. You know, but but I care about myself a lot as well. You know, I mean, I'm I'm doing my very best to not fall off, and that's kind of always what I come back to with free soloing is that, you know, even if it's putting a lot of stress on people that care about me, I'm like, you know, I'm already doing the absolute best that I can to to stay safe. No, and you could tell in the movie that you're you're putting, you know, like that New York Times uh, quote, it wasn't an act of recklessness, but the kind of planning worthy of a moon landing. You could tell all of the calculations and thought and care that you put into that. It wasn't like you just woke up and said, hey, I'm going to go climb El Capitan today. So that that was good to see as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I mean, and that's one of the things that I was hoping for from the film is to, to make it clear that it is a lot of work, you know, that it's not reckless. Well, congratulations on everything. You've worked very, very hard to get to where you are. Uh, you are a true inspiration, whether you know you want to hear that or not. You've inspired a lot of people. Uh, I was absolutely in awe of watching the movie. If you ever make it to Portland, Oregon, I would love to meet you in person. But uh, Alex Honnold, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the chat. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Open Doors helps athletes share content on social. Founded in 2012 by two former Nebraska football players, Open Doors has become the world's leading athlete marketing platform. More than 6,000 athletes around the world use Open Doors to receive content from partners and publish to their personal social channels like Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all with one click. Opendoors makes it easier than ever before for brands, including sponsors and licensees and properties, to push approved content through the player's social channels. Leading sports organizations like the PGA Tour, NFL Players Association, Major League Baseball Players Association, the LPGA, and dozens of professional and collegiate sports teams use the platform to send video highlights, photos, GIFs, and more to athletes. The publishing process is very easy and convenient. Once registered, athletes receive a text message when their team, league, or brand partner has content for them to share on social media. The athlete simply reviews the content and hits approve. Open Doors does the rest. If you're an athlete, start using Open Doors as a tool today to build your personal brand and maximize your value on social media. If you're a brand trying to connect with athletes who you thought you'd never be able to gain access to on your own, Open Doors is your solution. Open Doors makes athletes more accessible to the people who support them. Visit opendoors.com or follow them on social media at opendoors. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new Sports Business Radio intern. 
I want to welcome ZipRecruiter to our family of sponsors. Again, really happy to have them on board. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. Happy to have them on board. And we want to remind you all the great places you can get the Sports Business Radio podcast. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, Stitcher. Tune in wherever you get your podcast. You can find Sports Business Radio. So download us for on-demand listening. Subscribe, rate, and review us as well. We always appreciate the reviews. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.